speak to us. Thanks for that introduction, Dave. I think if I knew an accountant was coming to speak, I would stay home. So, so thanks for coming. Um, and I wanted to thank Rick and his team. I don't know where. Thank you for uh, leading us in song this morning. I enjoyed every one of those songs and your uh, leading style too. Um, I just got new glasses last week. Uh, they are progressives. I can't see you, but I can see my notes. So it's kind of convenient, you know, if you kind of have stage fright and you can't see your audience, it's really helpful. Uh, so thanks for having us here this morning. It's a real privilege uh, to be here. This is our third visit. Uh, we were here back in April when, uh, when Jason Ban was speaking, uh, and we were introduced that morning. And then uh, in the summer, uh, we were at the baptism service over at the campground here. We just kind of hid in the background and enjoyed uh, seeing the, the baptisms that day. And then today is our, our third visit with you. Uh, so I just first wanted to give you uh, just kind of an update as to what's going on at Ethnos Canada these days. Uh, our missionary training program uh, is up and running again. The class just started at the end of August. So we have nine students uh, just starting. It's a 15, 16-month training program that after that, then um, they'll continue hopefully moving toward the mission field, whether it's uh, overseas or at home. Uh, of those nine students, we have a very international mix. We have, there's three Canadians, two Germans, and individuals from the U.S., Mexico, Indonesia, and New Zealand. Um, uh, and something else that we're doing for the first time at Ethnos Canada is it's called a Bible Intensive. Uh, we have three students doing that, and that is kind of a, uh, a crash course. Maybe that's not the best term. Um, kind of replacing Bible school, but for those who have a little more life experience and that maybe uh, transitioning to go to Bible school and come back might be uh, kind of a big thing for them. So we have this one-year program that is at our campus there as well. So we have three students doing that. And one other thing I wanted to highlight that is going on, uh, when we were here in April when Jason gave his message, he was teaching a lesson out of the curriculum that they call Establish 101. And uh, there's been a real uh, great um, reception to that. And now they have just finished with the, the 102 part of the curriculum. And just two or three weeks ago, we were at a, it was kind of a launch for the 102 curriculum. And at that, they gave, there were some testimonies about um, how the 101 curriculum was really impacting lives. And uh, if you can get your hands on some of the materials that they've produced, it is really excellent. And uh, they're currently just starting to write uh, 103, which might be the book of Acts. Don't quote me on that. Um, so that's Jason and Aaron Band that you know and love and some others as well on that team. All right, so now I'll get to God's Word. Uh, the title that I have given this message is What I Am Learning from David. And originally, I, I wanted to say what I have learned from David, but then I realized that makes it sound like, well, I've learned it, and now I've moved on to something else. But these are things that I am learning. And it was about seven weeks ago that uh, Deb Rogers and the missions team asked if I would speak. Uh, so seven weeks is a long time, which I appreciated having that much time to prepare, but at the same time, I've been thinking about these concepts for seven weeks. 
and it really has had a big impact on me. And if you want to have a similar impact on you, you're just going to hear this one time. But my understanding is you can find this on YouTube and Facebook. So if you go home and watch it 20 times, uh, maybe it will impact you the way it has impacted me. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to say anything that, that is uh, really that new, uh, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will take what I say, and wherever you're at in life, there will be something there that you can apply to your life. Uh, and just before I had been asked to speak, I was reading in Psalms, in Psalm 25, and uh, as I was reading it, I thought, you know, there's some really good stuff in here. If I was ever asked to give a sermon, there's some good material here, and then you know, the next couple days, Deb asked if I'd be willing to speak, so I was like, okay, well, I already just said that I have some material I could use, so here we are. Uh, I don't usually spend much time in the Psalms. I usually prefer reading in the New Testament, reading the stories of Jesus, reading the letters um, and the teaching in those letters. So I don't often go to the Old Testament. But uh, for whatever reason, I was reading in Psalms. And through doing that, I was greatly affected by David's worldview, his view of God. And I do want to say, uh, you won't be hearing a lot about Jesus in this message because it is based on the Old Testament, but these principles are for those who have put their trust in Christ. Having the Holy Spirit living in you is a prerequisite for these principles to make sense. So I have, uh, I know usually a good sermon is a three-point sermon. Well, I have four things I'm talking about, but um, the first thing is that David thinks about God a lot, and uh, and where do I see that? Psalm 25, verse 5. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. By the way, this Bible I bought myself in 1993. In the front it says, you know how sometimes they have like pre presentation? It's like, presented to Doug Johnstone by himself. Uh, date, April 3rd, 1993. Anyway, that was just a freebie. Um, so Psalm 25, 5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. So there, he's thinking about God all day long. Uh, verse 15, he says, My eyes are ever on the Lord. So how long is he thinking about the Lord? He's thinking about the Lord ever. And Psalm 63 uh, was also written by David. And in Psalm 63, verse 6, we see, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. So when is he thinking about God? Through the watches of the night, while he's in bed. So David is not saying, I think about you for five minutes when I get up, and five minutes when I go to bed, and on Sunday morning, and Saturday morning men's breakfast. He says, all day he thinks about God, and ever. And as a side note, I want to comment on the flip side to this. Uh, there's us thinking about God, but I want to just talk a bit about how much God thinks about us. Uh, Psalm 139, this is just, if I say Psalm 139, some of you are going to right away recognize what that is. It's quite a famous psalm where uh, David talks about how well God knows him. He knows when I sit and when I stand. He knows what I am going to say before I say it. Uh, but I want to highlight verse 17. He says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. So, 
how precious are your thoughts about me? So God's thoughts about David or God's thoughts about you. Not only are they precious, but the second part of that verse says, how vast is the sum of them? Or in another translation, how great is the sum of them? So God's thoughts about David, God's thoughts about you, how vast or how great is the sum of them? If you want to paraphrase that, or my paraphrase of that says, God, you are thinking about me all the time. Because if he's got vast, great amounts of thoughts about you, you can maybe say he's thinking about you all the time. So as we consider God's thoughts towards us, let us determine to think about him, have him on our mind all through the day. As it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So let us be like David and think about God a lot. And just a, again from Psalm 25, 15, my eyes are ever on the Lord. So may our eyes be ever on the Lord. So that was the first thing that I am learning from David. Second thing is, how does David respond when bad things happen? How does he respond when he's going through a crisis? So if we look at Psalm 25, we see that David is having a bad day. And I'm just going to highlight some of the things that he's going through. Uh, he is lonely. He is afflicted. The troubles of his heart have multiplied. He's in anguish. He has affliction and distress. He has sin issues. His enemies have increased and they hate him fiercely. His life is at risk and he needs rescuing. So that's all towards the end of the psalm verse, between verses 16 and 20. He lists all these things going on. So you could say that he was having a bad day. So what is he going to do? What would you do? Some of these things you are going through. Um, maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're afflicted. Uh, maybe the troubles of your heart have multiplied. You can probably find yourself in here somewhere. So what do you do when you're having a bad day? What do you do when you're in crisis? And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, well, the best thing to do here is to personalize this and look at myself, and maybe that will apply to you as well. So when I'm in a crisis, the first place that I look in my humanness is I trust in people. And all through my life, when I look back, I can see that my parents were always there for me. I always felt that support, um, you know, whether it was you know, driving me somewhere, providing for me, uh, helping me financially, just anything. I always knew they'd be there for me if I needed it. And now I have a great wife, I have a great family that I maybe don't need my parents as much because I have other local support, but that's just something that I have always felt is kind of a bedrock in my life. And maybe for you there's someone like that Maybe it's a parent for you. Maybe it's an adult child. Hopefully there's somebody in your life that you feel that you, know, you can turn to uh, in times of crisis. Although I say hopefully, at the same time, what, what we're learning here is that we can't rely on people. But that's our tendency is that we want to. Uh, a subcategory of trusting in people is trusting in the goodness of our fellow man. Uh, if you've followed the news at all, you know that in Haiti right now, things are really terrible. Um, gangs are basically running the country. Uh, people are afraid for their lives. Uh, and other places in the world, uh, you've heard all kinds of stories of persecution, of whether it's Christians being killed or just 
general violence. There are countries in the world where people, when they go to bed, they don't know if they're going to get attacked and killed in the night or taken off to jail. But I think that in Canada, as things are today, we don't feel that way. We think that won't happen here. Right? When I go to bed, I'm not afraid that someone's going to come in and kill me. Um, you know, we are nice Canadians, and those kinds of things are never going to happen. But in these other countries, there were probably times where they felt that way too. And, and, but we trust in, in nice Canadians. So it is true in general, we do have nice people around us. Uh, something else that I would trust in, and maybe you would trust in, is finances. If a problem comes up, maybe I think I can buy my way out of it. Instead of looking to God to meet a need, I look at the number on my bank statement and I decide if I can meet the need myself. And there are times when we trust the government when we need money because it seems like the Canadian government is happy to give out money. If you think about events from uh, about three years ago, it felt like the government was not going to let anybody be short of cash. Uh, so I trust in people, I trust in money, and just more generally, I trust in my own abilities. I can figure this out. I can do this. Uh, yesterday, Susan and I installed an interior door in our, in our house, and uh, uh, we didn't know what we were doing, and we made a few mistakes, but it, it's there now. So it's kind of like, well, we're going to do that. We were thinking, who can we get to do this? It's like, no, I trust in my own abilities or our abilities, and we mostly did it right. Um, and if you don't have abilities, you probably feel like, well, I have the ability to look it up on the internet or find a YouTube video that's going to tell me how to do it. So even if we don't have the ability, we trust that we can find out how to do things. Uh, something else that I trust in is I trust in my health. If I get sick or hurt, I trust that I will get better. Um, I feel like I'm pretty strong and healthy, or at least I'm strong enough for my place in life. Um, and I trust that the healthcare system will take care of me. Now, maybe uh, in your life experience, you don't trust the healthcare system anymore because uh, we do know there's failings. But just in general, for myself, I trust that I'm healthy, I'm going to stay healthy. Uh, something else I've trusted in just recently especially, is my driving skills. Uh, I've recently driven three children to college, uh, drove one to Wisconsin, one to North Bay, and then last weekend to New York State. And uh, so I've trusted my driving skills that, well, of course we're going to make it, we're not going to have any accidents. And we didn't have, we had no problems, um, and I thank the Lord for that. But we did see accidents, we did see uh, dangerous drivers, and so I realized that, you know, as much as I trust in my skills, that uh, it's, not, it's not guaranteed that you're going to make it. Um, that even in Scripture, I bet you didn't know this, in Scripture they trusted their driving skills too. And what verse am I referring to? Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. And I'm going to read the second half of that later, but... Um, so they trusted their driving skills too. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. So these are some of the things that I trust in when crisis comes, when I am having a bad day. Um, all the things that I've talked about are good things, or they can be good things. However, not one of them is entirely trustworthy. 
I could go through the list and point out how these things can and will fail us. So I could have taken more time and talked about each one and then how it would fail us, but we'll just say that all these things that we lean on, they're all going to fail us in different ways. So then, because we're seeing what uh, I'm learning from David, how does David respond? Because we saw at the end of Psalm 25, there's four or five verses there where he's just talking about all the terrible things going on in his life. So how was David going to solve his problem? Who does he trust in? If I ask someone to put up their hand and answer, who does he trust in? Uh, You probably know where this is going because it is a sermon. And um, he says in verse 2, In you I trust, O my God. In you I trust, O my God. And a couple other places in Psalms where, where David talks about this. Psalm 28, verse 7, he says, Uh, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. So we've got Psalm 25, verse 2, in you I trust. Psalm 28, 7, my heart trusts in him. And the second part of the driving skills verse, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And in my reading in the Psalms, nowhere have I seen David say, I will trust in the Lord some and trust in other things as well. Uh, in Psalm 39.7, this is a very, um, very striking verse to me. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Not just partial, but it's my only hope is in you. Uh, and just talking about trust, how do we decide if someone or something is worthy to be trusted? Uh, We trust based on the abilities or character of the one trusted in. It is not based on us. So if we're deciding to trust in someone or not, we look at their character or their abilities. So if Mike Stanley says to me, Hey, Doug, let's go for coffee on Tuesday at 1 o'clock. I'm not all worried. Well, what if he doesn't come because, you know, he's not so trustworthy. Based on what I know of his character... If he invites me to coffee, I'm going to go and he'll be there. Now, if Mike says to me, Hey, Doug, I'd like to perform some brain surgery. Um, Are you available Tuesday afternoon? Like, based on what I know of Mike, apart from his sterling character, is that he probably does not have the skills to do brain surgery unless he's got a secret life that I don't know about. But we need to consider uh, the skills... The, the character of who we are trusting in. And that's what we see David doing here. In Psalm 25, we find three places where he refers to God's character. In verse 5, he says, For you are God my Savior. In verse 6, he says, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. And in verse 8, he says, Good and upright is the Lord. So he's remembering God's character, and he's able to trust in him because of that. And uh, there's a story, well, more than one story even, where, so, uh, depending on your Bible knowledge, you'll know this or not know this, but, uh, so Saul was the king, and David had been told that he was going to be the next king, and Saul knew about that, and he didn't like that very much, so he wanted to kill David, and there were different times where Saul was chasing David, trying to find him so he could kill him. Uh, 
if you look at Psalm 57, it says at the beginning, in the introduction, that this psalm was written when David had fled from Saul into the cave. So Saul is chasing David. David hides in a cave, probably with other people. And it says here that David wrote a song. Like, hey guys, we're stuck in this cave. Let's have a sing-along. I'm going to make up this song. So you're thinking about how can he think about writing a song when he's being chased um, so someone can kill him. And even in verse 9, he says, I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts. So he's not thinking this is a good situation. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts. But in verse 9... He says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, for great is your love. So he's remembering God's character. He's remembering that God is love. And so because of that, he's able to either sing a song or write a song in this situation. So when we focus on God's attributes, we can see that he is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. So does trusting mean that things will work out the way we want them to? I'll just ask that one again, and you probably have an answer in your head. Does trusting mean that things will turn out the way we want them to? I have expectations, and I expect that they will be met. Uh, When I came in here this morning and I sat on my chair, I expected it to hold me up. So we have expectations, and they better be met. And we do this with God. We have expectations on how things should go and how we want them to go. But when I trust God, my expectations may not be met. Now, is this because God is not trustworthy, or is this because my expectations are wrong? I'll just ask that again. Are my expectations not met because God is not trustworthy, or because our expectations are wrong? And I think you'll agree that it's because our expectations are wrong. Uh, What our expectation needs to be is that God is concerned with my ultimate good and my character, and whatever he allows or does is for my good. It is also for his good, for his purposes. I recently listened to a sermon on the book of James, and uh, the one verse that was being talked about was one of the verses that uh, maybe none of us like. Uh, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And just as a side note, even though that's true, if there's someone who comes to you and they're really suffering, it maybe isn't the best thing to quote this verse to them. Maybe first being, you know, listening in compassion and then depending on your relationship, maybe someday come to this scripture. It is scriptural, but it um, needs to be applied appropriately. Um, but anyway, in this sermon about consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, uh, what he said was, God's goal for our life is maturity in him. His goal is to grow us into his likeness. Our goal, when we're going through a trial, what is our goal? Our goal is for the trial to end. We want the circumstances fixed to line up with how we have planned things. So God's goal is our character, is our growth. Our goal is for the trial to end. And and what this pastor was saying is that we need to change our goal. Instead of uh, 
ending the trial. I mean, if we can, that's great. But our goal needs to be, how is this shaping my maturity? How is this shaping my character? When our goal changes, then we can find joy. So we've seen that God is trustworthy. Let us be like David and put our trust in him. Uh, Again, Psalm 25, verse 2 says, In you I trust, O my God. Uh, Number three, somewhere I have a bottle of water. There it is. I need this. So, question three, what is David's attitude in non-crisis situations in his day-to-day? So maybe you're not going through a crisis. Maybe it's just your, uh, your normal life with its daily stresses. And a lot of people, if you'd ask them, like, what do you want on a day-to-day basis? You're going through some stress, maybe not crisis. What are you in need of? And I would suggest that maybe one word to sum it up is rest. Uh, Psalm 62.1, David says to us, My soul finds rest in God alone. And I'll say that again. My soul finds rest in God alone. So how about us? What about me? How do I think that I will find rest? Uh, when I'm looking in the wrong place, that is. When will I be at peace? So we think that once a certain thing happens, once a certain milestone gets passed, then I will be at rest. Then I will have peace. And I'm just going to kind of give you some examples of where you might see this in your life. Um, If you're a child, you might say, once I'm a teenager, then I'll have more freedoms. Then I will be at peace. Well, then the teenager realizes, well, maybe that's not so good. I don't have enough freedoms. So once I leave home, then I will be at rest. Well, then they leave home, they go to college maybe, and uh, all of a sudden there's, there's exams and papers and all that going on, and they're like, oh, once I graduate and get out of college, then I'll be at rest. Well, now they've graduated, and they're like, oh, once I can find that job, once I can find that career of my dreams, then finally I'll be at rest. Or maybe they start thinking about Mr. or Miss Wright, and they think, Once I find that special someone, then I will be at rest. Then I will finally be happy. Or once they get married, then maybe, well, once we can have a child, then we'll be complete, then we'll be at rest. Now you have the baby, and the baby is not sleeping at night, and you just think, once the baby sleeps through the night, then I'll be at peace. Well, then baby's sleeping through the night. It's like, oh, if only they were toilet trained. Once we're done with diapers... Then I'll be at rest. Well, and then you move ahead a few years and you think, once, once they leave home, then finally I will be at rest. Or if you look at things on a, on a career side, you might feel like, once I get that promotion, once I become a manager, then finally I'll be at rest. Or when you get a bit older, you might start thinking, oh, once I retire then I will finally be at rest. Or maybe after you're retired, then you have health issues, and you think, once I get healthy, then I will be at rest. And I'll stop there. But if if you think about your life, what is, in your life, what is the thing that you're thinking of, like, once I get past this next hurdle, 
then I will be happy. And um, I'm going to say it, but you already know it, that when you get there, you're not going to find that you're at rest because then there's the next thing that comes along. And just going back to what did David say? My soul finds rest in God alone. And here I will talk about Jesus. Here's a quote from Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for rest. Jesus says, I will give you rest. He doesn't say that life will be without problems. On the contrary, he says that if we follow him, we're going to suffer. But he will give you rest in the storm. Uh, Even while I was preparing this message, a situation came along, which I won't go into details, but uh, when that situation was, was resolved, I felt like, okay, now things will be good. But right away I reminded myself, because I'd been immersed in this for how many weeks, my soul finds rest in God alone. The next thing will come along, I can't uh, base my peace on circumstances of life. So don't trust in my circumstances, only trust in God, find rest in Him. So let us be like David and find our rest in Him. Psalm 62.1, my soul finds rest in God alone. And now we're at number four. Uh, this one really stood out to me. This might have been when I said that I had been reading Psalm 25 and things stood out to me. This is before I knew I was going to be giving a message. This is probably what stood out to me the most is... Uh, I'm just going to read verse, in verse 4, 5, and 9. So David says, Teach me your paths. He says, Guide me in your truth and teach me. And in verse 9, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. So here in the first nine verses of the psalm, he's already talked three times about being taught by the Lord. And so I see that David has a teachable attitude, so then that makes me ask myself, how teachable am I? And then you can ask yourself, how teachable are you? When you come to church or you listen to a sermon, whether it's a podcast, uh, if you go to a Bible study, what is your attitude? Do you feel like, well, I'm not going to learn anything new, I'm not going to hear anything new, or is your heart open to be taught and to learn something new? So I encourage you and me, when you're going to hear a teaching, to have the attitude, I am going to listen and learn something new. And as important as it is to be teachable in a church setting, um, this applies to our whole lives. Uh, If you're a student, are you willing to be taught by those with more experience and wisdom than you? Uh, This isn't in my notes, but if you're a homeschool student, are you willing to listen to your parents when they try to teach you? Uh, If you're an athlete, are you willing to listen to your coach, even if you think you know more than them? If you're in the workforce, are you willing to be taught by coworkers or supervisors? When someone corrects you, this is really important, when someone corrects you, do you get defensive or do you receive the correction with a submissive attitude? It really takes humility to have the attitude, teach me, to say, teach me. And going back to James... Uh, James 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So um, you can 
hear words, you can hear my words, you can hear Pastor Mike's words, and think, okay, that was, that was nice. But are you willing to be taught and have your, your heart changed by God's word? Um, thinking about this verse, my notes here are saying, if, uh, if your teenager goes to driver's ed and they're like, you know, you need to stay on the right side of the road and things like that, uh, you want your teenager to hear that truth but also put it into practice, right? We can't just hear good information and, and not do what it says. And then uh, kind of the final section here, verse, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5. Again, for those who have a lot of Bible knowledge, if I say Proverbs 3, verse 5, you probably know what that is. Um, usually goes with verse 6. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So I'm going to say that again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So if you're not leaning on your own understanding, whose understanding are you leaning on? Where are we going to get understanding? And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, uh, going back to James again, James 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I'll read that again. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So I find the first part of that kind of funny, because if you think about it, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, so who doesn't lack wisdom, right? If someone asks you, do you lack wisdom? Are you going to be, oh no, I'm good, I got enough wisdom, like, I don't need that. So anyway, if any of you lacks wisdom, okay, everybody, uh, how do we get this wisdom? So in uh, the one translation I have here, it says, he should ask God. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do research on this and find out, are there other translations? And so I looked at 22 different versions of this verse. Now, I'm, a, I'm making that sound like it's something good, but it was all on one page. You go to the internet, you, put, you type in the verse, psh, there's 22 versions of it right there, okay? So I just went down. Um, so here's all the different translations of this, this phrase. Ask God, ask of God, ask from God. So when I look at those, it's like there's not too many ways to... Uh, spin this or or translate it differently. So how do we get wisdom? We ask God. So it's just pretty simple. Ask. And the next part of it says uh, he gives generously. Now three different translations. Um, He gives generously, he gives liberally, or he gives abundantly. And I was trying to think of what's a good uh, word picture to describe this, and I failed. But I thought, well, generous, liberal, or abundant, I think, well, maybe Niagara Falls, but I think, well, maybe that's too much. And I think of, when I think of generous, I think of like maybe you're uh, with a meal, if someone's generous, you know, they give you more. So you got some there. I'm thinking, well, that's too small. So it's somewhere in between Niagara Falls and having a generous helping on your plate. That when he gives generously, I think his point is he gives you what you need. He gives you more than what you need. And I'm going to read this verse again, and I'm just going to change one word, okay? So you're going to, I'm asking you to listen to this verse. 
See if you can find the one word that I change. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask Doug, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Okay, I know that was difficult. Um, So yes, it does matter who is giving the wisdom. Don't ask me. (laughs) Um, If you think about who it is who's giving you the wisdom, and just, I mean, I could talk about this for a long time, but... This is the God who created you. And if you think about the complexity, even of the human body, how all the systems work and stuff, you know, God created that. He created the world. You think about all the systems in the world and the amazing uh, complexity of that. And then small things like atoms and smaller things than that, that they keep finding new ones. Um, That God is, he's amazing. His mind is amazing. He has never made a mistake He has never said, oops, that didn't turn out so good. So we think about that it's God who's giving us this wisdom. Now, I I do feel like I need to say, just for the sake of full disclosure, that if you look at the next verse in James, so it talks about asking for wisdom, um, it does say that when you ask, you need to have faith that you're going to receive or you won't receive. I wasn't going to focus on that, but I just thought... I should say that because it's there. And when you read this on your own, I don't want you saying, hey, how come he didn't mention that? But I'm trusting that you're going to have the faith that when you ask God for wisdom that, that he's going to give it to you and that you're going to have the faith for that. Um, so I want this wisdom. I want God's wisdom. I need his wisdom. And you probably want this wisdom. And you need this wisdom. So let us be like David and ask God to teach us as it says in Psalm 25, verse 5, guide me in your truth and teach me. Guide me in your truth and teach me. I'm teachable, I hope. Please teach me. So I'm just going to summarize the four things that I've talked about. Um, What is David teaching me? So he's teaching me to think about God a lot, to be focusing my mind on him, the things of the Lord, fix our eyes on him. The second is to trust in the Lord for everything, The third one, to find my rest in him alone, that nothing else will satisfy. And the fourth one, to ask God to teach me and to give me his wisdom. So those are the things that um, I've been learning through, uh, through Psalm 25 and through God's word. So I'd like to pray with you, pray for you, uh, if we can just do that. Lord, thank you for your word and for the wisdom and truth in your word. Thank you for what you've been teaching me. And I just pray that uh, for this congregation, for this body, um, just that you would continue to work in their hearts, in our hearts, um, change us by your word. And uh, just thank you for all the blessings in our life, how you've saved us and adopted us and uh, made us part of your family. Just pray your blessing on this congregation. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.